0: Today we are in Matthew chapter 26, and if you're just joining the show, I want to let you know that we're at the end of the book of Matthew, where we've been going through an introduction series to the Gospels, where I just explain the history and the background of the culture and help you understand what you're reading, never to replace your Bible reading, but to help supplement it. Also, as we're going through, if you find that you need some resources, you want to dive a little bit deeper, we have those available for you as well. There's links in the show notes. We have ad-free episodes. We have discussion guides. We have journaling prompts. all sorts of things to help you grow in your faith and hear God's voice more clearly. You can head to shehears.org for more information. So I'm in Matthew chapter 26, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, starting at verse one. It says, when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the son of man is to be handed over for crucifixion. At that time, the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the courtyard of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to arrest Jesus covertly and kill him. But they were saying not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very expensive perfume, and she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. But the disciples were indignant that they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you bothering the woman? For she has done a good deed for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, What this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they set out for him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on he looked for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and to say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I'm keeping the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they began saying to him, Each one, surely it is not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is going away, just as it is written about him, but woe to that man By whom the Son of Man is betrayed, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you new in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter replied to him, Even if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing as well. So this is likely a very familiar passage, one that most of us have heard multiple times. We probably hear it on a regular basis when we do communion at church. But there's a couple things going on as an undercurrent that I want you to pay attention. And the big idea, especially in the beginning part of this passage, is this idea of how much Jesus is worth. The way that ancient writers would have communicated, both in writing and in speaking, would have been by contrasting characters. And so what this narrative does is it provides three evaluations of the worth of Jesus in their relationship. First, we see this complete devotion to him in verse seven. It says, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial, of very expensive perfume, and she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. We're going to unpack that here in a minute, but we see that she's completely devoted to him. And then it moves into less devotion, where we see the disciples questioning her. In verse 8, it says, but the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this way? And so they were in opposition to what she was doing, and they were less devoted to Jesus. And then finally, we see such little devotion that his relationship is betrayed for the biblical price of a slave. And again, we're going to get into that as well. But in verse 15, it says, and from then on, he looked for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. And he's talking about Judas. And so there's this progression from devotion to less devotion to not being devoted at all. And that's kind of the undercurrent that's going on in this series of stories. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we're listening. That's kind of the overarching theme that ties all of these together. And so in this time frame, and remember, they're part of the Roman Empire. So in places, especially places like Jewish Palestine, crucifixion was seen as the cruelest, most painful way that a criminal would have been executed. It was a death that was reserved for the criminals. And also at this time frame, what was going on was the Passover. And remember, the Passover was a way to remember how God redeemed Israel through the blood of the lamb. Remember, in the Old Testament, the blood of the lamb was, was on the door. And then when the angel of death came through any of the doorposts that had lamb's blood on it, it passed over them. So this Passover celebration was something that they celebrated every year to commemorate that experience. And so the way that Rome would rule during this time would have been through the local aristocrats. So Rome was far away. And so they sent their governors there, but then they also relied heavily on the local leadership, the, the people that were rich and powerful within society. And that would have included the head priests and the elders of Jerusalem, because most of them were part of that elite society. Now, the Sanhedrin was the council that ruled, and it took people from those local elite social circles. And that group was not really a good representation of the general population because there was a deep contrast to the Jewish followers of Jesus, both in status, both in belief systems, in how much money they had. There was a big disconnect there, but there was other Jewish groups at the time, including even the Pharisees that had a lot of conflict with those that were on the Sanhedrin. They just kind of saw them as, as traitors, essentially. And so the Sanhedrin was holding a private meeting to plan on how they were going to kill Jesus. But Jesus was not convicted yet, which meant that they were in opposition to what that Jewish ethical system would have been at the time. And they knew that by doing it that way, there was a danger of a riot, especially during a festival like Passover. Because during these festivals, I mean, in general, just think about what it's like when you have a dense population. Riots were a lot more likely to break out because it was so crowded. So much so that the Roman governor at the time would come from Caesarea to kind of just watch over things and they would increase security and just make sure that things ran smoothly. So they knew that they couldn't just arrest Jesus publicly because that would have really upset the public and it would have incited a riot. So at this time, Jesus was down in Bethany, which is one of the villages near Jerusalem. And it's where he spent a lot of time. In my Bible study, she hears learning to listen to Jesus. We actually talk about this really in depth, and we take it from the book of John. So if you are interested in studying more about Bethany or any of the scenes that are taking place, I would encourage you to pick up a copy of that. You can go to shehears.org and you can pick up a copy there. But that word Bethany, that village, it means house of the poor. And it was a place where a lot of people that were poor or marginalized lived. And if you think about it, it says that Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper. So even if Simon is healed at this point. He's still known as being a leper. And in case you missed our episode that talked about leprosy, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because it will give you a better understanding of how leprosy impacted someone. But he's, again, Simon the leper lives in Bethany, the house of the poor. It's where the marginalized live. And yet we see Jesus around that part all the time. He spent so much time there. It's where also the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. And so we know that it was a second home for Jesus. And what we see next is the seed of Mary of Bethany anointing the head of Jesus. And again, I unpack this all in my Bible study. We spent a whole week on this seed. But this was a custom to anoint the head of important guests. And this scene is pretty special because she uses perfume. And this perfume wasn't just any perfume. It was perfume that was very valuable. It was likely worth a whole year's wage. It was probably a fairly heirloom that would have been probably saved for her dowry. And remember, she lived in Bethany, the house of the poor. She didn't have a lot of money, even though Martha, her sister owned her own home. These were not rich people by any means. And so this alabaster stone, it it was a flask that basically the way it was designed is once you open it, you had to break it to open it. And once you open it, there was no closing it. This was it. You would have to break the jar to use the ointment inside and you would have to use it up rather quickly. So it's not like she used a little bit of it and she dabbed a little bit on Jesus and then she put the rest away. No, this was a sacrifice that she was making to use this on him. And when she does this, she meets criticism from some of the disciples and Jesus tells them what? leave her alone. We see that exact verbiage in the book of John. Here he's, we see him arguing with them and sticking up for her. But in the book of John, he actually says, leave her alone. I just love that. And so when he says that the poor will always be with them, he isn't saying not to care about the poor. Instead, what he's saying is, first, you are devoted to me, to Jesus. That devotion, the devotion to Jesus is more important than any other kind of devotion, even something that would look like a good and godly deed that is commanded in the gospel, if that thing outweighs your devotion to Jesus, it's pointless. And so the anointing that would happen here was important for a couple reasons. The first was the Jewish tradition of anointing kings. And so by definition, Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, was a king. But the priests and other kings would be anointed for service. And often, When a king was coming into town, when that procession was coming, he would smell him before you would see him because that anointing, it was part of the way that you would know that he was set apart for service. And so remember what Jesus was getting ready to do, what he would be called on the cross, the king of the Jews. They even put a crown of thorns on his head. That aroma would have still been with him when he was on the cross. And then the second is the one that Jesus focuses on in this passage She was anointing his body for burial. And of course, that was another Jewish custom. But because of what was going to be happening in the next few days, the body of Jesus would not be properly anointed after his death because of the timing and how his body needed to be prepared before the Sabbath. So this anointing that Mary was doing, it was going to be the only anointing that the body of Jesus would ever get. Jesus knew that. Mary was obedient to God, to what he was calling her to do. It didn't make sense to those around her. Who knows if it even made sense to her, but it made sense to Jesus. And I love that posture of obedience because she's living for an audience of one. And then it talks about the betrayal. So betrayal in this time frame was seen as a very serious crime, especially when it was one of your friends or or close family members. And Judas, who betrayed Jesus during a festival, it, it meant that while the chief priests were around, they were very, very busy. And they weren't easy to get to, but because his agenda to betray Jesus was in line with their own intention to have him killed, it was easier for him to get their attention and So, what Matthew's readers would have understood, and perhaps something that you and I miss, is that when Judas sold out Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, that was the average price of a slave. See, I used to think that he did it because he wanted to get rich because we' could just think silver, but that wasn't it; He sold Jesus for a really cheap price. The same price that an average slave would go for at that time frame, and then they're eating this Passover meal, which was to be eaten at night, so it was probably starting around 6 p.m. And they're sitting around this table, which is a very intimate time here. Jesus and his disciples were essentially making up almost like this family kind of atmosphere. They would have been sitting or even reclining back on couches. And the comment that he makes here about someone who is dipped in the bowl—it's talking about this meal that they're sharing, and as you can probably imagine. They are, there's nuts, there's fruit, they're dipping into the bowl, they're eating together, they're sharing this meal. And what he's doing is he's revealing that someone in this intimate family kind of setting will be the one to turn around and betray him. And that would have been horrifying to them to hear, not just on the basis of relationship, but on the basis of their ethics and their culture, because they saw hospitality and sharing a meal together as this intimate act that would bond them together in a friendship covenant. So Judas, who traded that intimacy with Jesus for a very cheap version of something that the world had to offer, would have been shocking. And then, of course, we see this scene play out where Jesus has this communion experience with them, which was a custom during Passover, where the head of the house would give thanks for the bread and the wine. And so he says, this is my body. We have to understand that this is symbolic. It is not literal. And the audience that Matthew was speaking to, the original audience of this gospel message, the book of Matthew, they understood that they were Jewish. The standard Jewish interpretation spoken over the Passover meal was figurative. It was symbolic. What they would have said in the time frame is they would say something to the effect of this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. You clearly couldn't take that literally because it has been centuries. So even if it was bread that was there, it would have been centuries old and it would have already been eaten. It was clearly symbolic. It was a way to honor and almost even reenact Passover to participate in that experience and to remember everything their ancestors went through to remember this covenant between God and Israel. So in this setting, they would have understood what Jesus was saying that it was metaphorical. It was symbolic. And so even with the blood, that Passover ritual would have interpreted the cup not as blood. It was representative of blood, but it was not literal blood because the Jewish law and the Jewish customs were revolted by the idea of drinking any creature's blood, especially human blood. So it was symbolic. They understood that. And that's how we need to understand that. What's it symbolic of? Well, think about in the Old Testament, covenants were sealed by sacrifice, by blood. And God had redeemed his people from Egypt, by the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus was getting ready to become the Passover lamb. So this conversation was clearly symbolic. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread, starting at verse 1, Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. At that time, the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the courtyard of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to arrest Jesus covertly and kill him. But they were saying not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial, a very expensive perfume, and she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you bothering the woman? For she has done a good deed for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they sent out for him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, he looked for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says my time is near. I am keeping the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they began saying to him, Each one, Surely it is not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is going away, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Jesus, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day, when I drink it with you, new, in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter replied to him, Even if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing as well. Let's pray. God, we see so much in this first half of 26 where we just recognize so many things. God, help us to just hold these things in our heart. God, help us to recognize that that you are the most important thing in our lives. And as we start to think about the reality of you laying your life down for us, God, we are so humbled. We are so grateful. We are so thankful for your love, dear God. So I just pray for my friends right now that they would understand this truth and it would seep down deep into their soul. I thank you and I praise you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So real quick before we go, friends, I just want to remind you that through the end of December, what we're working on is We are trying to reach 30 kids sponsored with Compassion International. We've had lots of information about that. We have two different podcast episodes that explain this relationship with Compassion. By participating with Compassion International to help sponsor a child, you can rescue a child out of dire circumstances and you can be part of the transformation that the hope of the gospel offers. Would you pray and consider giving towards a sponsorship of one of these children so we can get 30 children sponsored by the end of the year? Thanks so much for listening, friends. We'll talk tomorrow. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God,